Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. Sit back, relax, and listen to tonight's show. Let's join our host, Ted Odorico, as he introduces tonight's special guest. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. This is our Season 12 opener. Very, very excited to be back on air. I've been off for uh, probably about a month and a half just before the uh, holidays in December, we uh, I, rather I took a little bit of a break as I got ready for season 12, and uh, just to give the voice, the vocal cords, uh, cords, excuse me, all that good stuff, a bit of a rest. Um, we're gonna have a great show though tonight. Uh, gonna give you a few program notes. Uh, first off, obviously a program change. Uh, regrettably, uh, my guest uh, originally scheduled for tonight, Susie Whaley, is unfortunately not able to join me this evening um, uh, due to some personal circumstances. But um, I will endeavor to have her uh, come on at her earliest convenience, so we'll schedule that for another time. But I'm happy to say I do have another great guest that's going to be joining me here in a moment, and I'll introduce him and tell you a little bit about him in just a few moments. But a couple of uh, program notes that I want to mention, too. Um, as most of you know, if you've been tuning into the show uh, for any length of time, um, as I said, this is season 12. Uh, normally, the month of February, I kind of do a Golf Talk Live light, so it's just going to be an hour broadcast tonight and for the next few weeks. Uh, once March turns around, March 7th, in fact, uh, we'll kick into our full two-hour schedule, which will include, of course, the Coach's Corner panel, which will start things off uh, from the 6 to 7 time slot, and then 7 to 8 will be, of course, my uh, special interview guest. Um, something a little extra exciting this year, though, uh, two weeks out of every month, the second uh, Thursday and the last Thursday of every month, I'm going to be joined by a very good friend of mine, Robert Kaufman. He is a contributing travel editor for Golf Tips Magazine. He's going to be coming on. We've inserted a little travel segment in between the Coach's Corner and the regular interview uh, guest portion of it. And uh, he's going to be bringing a few uh, guests, uh, travel partner guests, on the show as well. So we're going to be talking about that, uh, maybe talk about some upcoming buddy trips that you may want to take and, and some great destinations. So we're going to cover a lot of good things in that, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But uh, on that note, I'm going to introduce tonight's guest, and we'll get into tonight's conversation. As I mentioned, um, very interesting guest on tonight. Uh, he's actually uh, communicated with me a number of times and uh, quite often helps uh, secure some guests, including uh, the original guest, Susie, tonight. And uh, his name is Rich Katz. He's the founder and CEO of Katz Strategy, LLC. Uh, he is a sought-after master strategist and keynote speaker with almost 30 years of experience in the golf industry. In uh, January 2021, he formed Katz Strategy, LLC, a golf specialty business advisory and marketing firm uh, with high-level institutional knowledge and long-standing connections. Katz Strategy uh, helps establish emerging and new brands, understand and effectively infiltrate business-to-business uh, -business and business-to-consumer golf audiences. In 20, uh, 2001, excuse me, he founded the Buffalo Agency, 
which has become the world's largest integrated uh, marketer specializing in golf lifestyle, representing nearly 65 trade and consumer brands on five continents. And also, uh, he co-founded uh, digital media properties, including the popular morning read, Where to Golf Next, and the Equipment Insider. So please welcome my very special guest tonight on Season 12 opener, Rich Katz. Good evening, Rich. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Uh, Ted, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, I uh, I listened and I heard Robert Kaufman was going to be on the show. He and I uh, have been on some golf trips together, and it's always a barrel of laughs with Robert. <laughs> yeah. We actually spoke at the PGA show, of course, I was uh, just a few weeks ago, and uh, we, we talked fairly regularly. In fact, we just had a uh, a Zoom call here recently with uh, a travel partner we're looking to connect with. I'm not going to get into the details quite yet, but uh, we're looking at uh, doing some uh, uh, partnership and travel with the magazine and so forth. But uh, yeah, uh, Robert's a, a great guy, and uh, he's uh, submitted some great articles into the magazine. He's going to be coming on, as I mentioned, uh, beginning March 14th. He's going to be coming in and uh, for twice a month, he's going to be uh, running a travel segment, if you will, on Golf Talk Live. So I'm excited about that, and he's going to bring a cast of friends. So uh, I will be sure to say hi. I'm sure he might even be listening in tonight. So um, hopefully he'll uh, get a chance to do that. All right, so I want to start off. Um, I, I only talked a little bit. I mean, you've got quite a, a list of accomplishments, uh, too many to we, we spend most of the hour just going through them all. But And I'll give you an opportunity as we go along to, to talk about uh, uh, some of the different things that you're doing. But I want to ask you, uh, first off, I, I asked this question um, with a lot of first-time guests on the show, um, and, and it's just to kind of get a little bit to know them and why, what it is about golf that uh, really appeals to them personally. So why golf? What about the game appeals to you personally? Well, you know, to, to put, it, put it this way, I'll, I'll share a little story. I was at a party um, probably about 10 years ago, and, and this really resonated with me. And a gentleman walks up to me, introduces himself, and it's, it's Dr. Miller. What type of doctor are you? He said, I'm a, an MD in the OR and ER. So people come in, they're all bent up, car accidents, heart problems, you name it, and I'm there to save their lives or, you know, make their passing easier. So, you know, the inquisitive side of me said, Dr. Miller, um, how many patients do you save a month in the ER? And his answer was about 50% of them. And I said, oh, my God, you're my hero. So he turned to me and said, you know, hey, Rich, what what do you do? And I, I said, you know something? I just um, – promote a sport where guys and gals hit a little, little white dimpled ball into a little white hole. And he said, you know, Rich, you're my hero. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he, he said, he gave me a hug, and he said, you make people enjoy life while they're alive. Most of those lives that I save, they're never going to be able to enjoy playing golf. So life is short. Keep mm -hmm. on promoting the sport keep on promoting the lifestyle and keep on promoting the social aspects of the game people love because you never know when it's going to be their last day. And that really put it all in perspective for me. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of bundling, you know, bundling up the present and wrapping it with a bow as to why we in the business of golf 
or, you know, choose to um, promote something that promotes socialization, health, uh, discipline, and just the recreation that puts smiles on one's face, whether it's a high handicapper or a low handicapper, because Dr. Miller put it in, into good terms for me, just make people enjoy their lives while they can. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny that you say that, and what a great story. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting, um, you know, being around golf uh, as I am as well, and it, it's amazing. It doesn't matter what level. Um, obviously, there's a level of frustration that, uh, you know, everybody experiences. And that, again, I don't care what level you're at. Um, but there's a certain camaraderie. I, I remember a, a couple of years ago when I was at Pinehurst and uh, just, you know, getting ready to, to tee off, and I was talking with not just the group I was with, but uh, listening to some of the others on the tee. And, um, you know, it was just amazing hearing their stories of different places they've played and, and uh, you know, the ups and downs, as you will, as we're getting ready to, to all tee off. And it's just, uh, you know, just very interesting to hear and, you know, I, I saw a few veterans that were there at that particular time. Some of them obviously uh, had to come to various injuries and whatnot. But, uh, you know, there they were chasing that little white ball around and just having a great time. And it's just there's something about this game that's unlike any other out there. Um, I don't know whether you personally, you know, experience that as well. I don't know if you get a chance. Unfortunately, the one thing about I, I have noticed getting into the golf business, you don't get to play as much as you'd like to think you're going to and I don't know if you have that experience as well but do you notice that Rich as well when you're out in the golf you know when you do get a chance to go out in the golf course um, not just in your own personal group but just sort of the overall flavor out there um, that people just are out there to have a good time and yeah there's some ups and downs but um, everybody's just out there just having fun and, and just trying to you know enjoy something uh, and enjoying the, the personalities that go with it what do you think? Yeah so, so I grew up in the Northeast and in the Northeast, uh, especially in New York City where I was, um, when you're a kid, you go to sleepaway camp. Your parents, yep. you know, they either love you or don't, but they send you away for, to sleepaway camp for your own good. And you're gone <laughs> right. for eight weeks. So you're with the same kids for eight weeks. So eight weeks times seven days a week, that's 56 days. Um, during the mm -hmm. summer, usually it's July, August, or, or late June through through mid-August before school starts again. And some of those um, kids, now adults, that I went to sleepaway camp with are my best friends nowadays because we spent so much mm -hmm. time uh, back in the day growing up together, goofing around, playing sports and what have you. Um, golf is akin to that. And golf is akin yeah. to that because, you know, it's a four-and-a-half, um, our walk in the park, and you learn a lot about um, people's uh, your, your foursome's way of handling themselves, um, yep. their level of articulation, uh, their level of integrity. Um, are they chill or are they anxious? And you do that, you know, five, six, seven times uh, in a season. Um, they could become your best friends or, you know, they could be one of those, you know, morally bankrupt people. But, you know, right. by spending so much time and, you know, it's a gentleman's game, you know, how do they act? And usually how they yep. act on the golf mirror is how they act in real life. It's a wonderful phenomenon um, just a, and an exercise in socialization. Yeah, well said. Um, 
you're you're exactly right. You know, I specialized in um, and also an instructor as well um, in the business golf side of things, and that was exactly what I would you know tell a lot of my my clients you know at, at, over the years, and I've just said to them that you know you learn a lot. You can learn more on the golf course from a potential prospect than you ever could in a, in a you know 30 minute sales presentation. And you get to know them and you get to see whether or not you even want to do business with them. I mean, I've seen, you know, CEOs of companies come out and you think, hey, wow, they've got a great business and really want to, you know, connect with them. And they get out there and they're thumping clubs and they're, you know, cussing like a sailor and, you know, everything else. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I think I might want to rethink this, you know, this process. But you're exactly right. It's, it's a great way to get to know people and and uh, hopefully have some, you know, some fun along the ways and, and create some great memories. and. Um, we're going to talk about some of those. I'll let you share a few more of those uh, as we go along. I want to jump into, though, um, a little bit about your company. You started this, as I mentioned, in 2021. You've done a lot of other things um, in the past, and you specialize, obviously, in advising businesses and, and obviously, uh, as a marketing uh, firm as well. Um, tell us a little bit about what you specifically do for your clients, just so people have an understanding. Sure. So, you know, basically, as you mentioned earlier, Ted, um, I'm a one-person band now. Um, after retiring, so to speak, and finding out that um, watching reruns of Law and Order all day, every day, was not my cup of tea. So, I'm, I'm out to give back to owners of um, golf businesses uh, and leverage or, or, or share my institutional knowledge with them. I've made every mistake in the book. Um, you know, knock on wood, I've had more successes than mistakes. And I'm able to leverage my connections or network in golf, which is, is pretty darn longstanding, um, extensive, and, and, and quite tight. Uh, so people they don't know, uh, untapped revenue centers um, that now become pillars of business, you know, what's, what's kind of the roadmap to making it big um, in the golf business? You know, we find, or past, we found that 75% of all golf businesses don't make it past year three, and that is eerily similar to the restaurant business. How many times have you seen a restaurant open, and then, you know, you know, two years later, you go, say, I want that burger, and, and that burger is no longer available. So how, right. how do you prudently navigate through the golf industry, which is very tight-knit, uh, very mm -hmm. fraternal and often, um, not purposely, but just inherently unfriendly to those looking to break barriers and, and enter this great sport and, and this great industry. So if I could help ease that pain and, and show a shortcut to um, making money and having fun along the way, and the product or service that's being offered works, benefits the golfer and the golf industry or the golf business, then I'm all in. Unfortunately, um, some of those um, dreamers who say, mm -hmm. you know, hey, I'm a successful dentist, I love golf, I have a lot of money, I'm going to get in the golf business, come up with contraptions like training aids, and you say, and, and Ted, you've been there before, I wouldn't be caught dead by oh, that yeah. on a driving. So right. <laughs> um, I mean to be Delhi here. Uh, but, you know, and, and I often say where there's a will, there's a way. But, you know, sometimes it's better to get the counsel before you enter the market uh, than mm -hmm. after you enter the market and realize that, you know, what you're offering um, doesn't have the, that 
were intended when you you first cooked up an idea. So yeah, and, and um, that's a, it's neat. sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh no, I'm I'm all done, Ted. This this one's yours, man. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting that you say that because just a couple of quick points, and then I want to you know follow up with another question. Um, you're exactly right. I mean, obviously now having the magazine and, and obviously the shows as well, I get people reaching out all the time and saying, Hey, you know, we've got this great product or what have you and love to come on your show or love to, you know, get something in the magazine, um, for that. And a lot of times I will, you know, and I, obviously I, I, I do it nicely, but you know, I'll ask them certain things and I'll say, you know, it, it's not just about selling products. It, there has to be I mean, I, I see, as I mentioned earlier, you know, down at the PGA show, you see a lot of different things, and there's some interesting stuff down there, but there's a lot of, um, and I'm trying to be nice about this, but there's a lot of things that are not really going to help people improve. And as, as an instructor, I see that all the time. And, I, you know, I wish everybody well in whatever they do, but at the same time, you have to really stop and think, is this going to be something that people are going to reap uh, benefit from, or is it just going to collect more dust in the garage? And this brings me, you, you said something that kind of piqued my interest. You talked about, um, you know, sort of a tight-knit, uh, you know, group in, in, in the golf industry, and, and there are many industries like that. What I find really interesting, and I had a great discussion with um, the CEO of Top Tracer a few years ago about this very thing I'm about to ask you, and we were talking about the pandemic that we just all went through. And obviously, golf was you know, on the upside of that whole uh, situation um, where a lot of people were able to get out and play golf. It was one of the very few activities that didn't get shut down. And I, I said to him, and we talked about this at length on the show, uh, what I'm concerned about is from an industry standpoint, you know, we, we started to see the numbers drop in golf for a number of years leading up to um, the pandemic. And everybody was scratching their head, what are we going to do? How are we going to change this? What changes? Obviously, there was a major uptick in people coming out, a lot of new people coming out. My concern was, is are we going to keep going down the same rabbit holes we have been for the last 10, 20, 30 years, or are we going to find ways to retain these people? Because it wasn't just new people. There were people that had gotten out of golf, and I don't mean in the business, but just stopped playing golf uh-huh. for whatever reason, out of frustration. And then now decided to re, you know resurgence and come back. Um, is that something that you thought about as well in your business? Okay, how do we keep these people here and don't just keep making the same mistakes that we have for the last however many years? And I'm not saying it was all bad, but there were a lot of things, a lot of rabbit holes, as I said, that we went down. What are your thoughts on that? So, I, I, as, as horrific as the pandemic was, it was that um, marvelous for golf. Um, right. I think people realized that, you know, they needed to get out of their easy chairs and the stagnancy of lying in, on their couch. And, you know, golf was a safe haven. It's, you know, not a, not only provided the physical activity that's needed um, so you don't look like John Candy, um, but it also <laughs> provided mental acuity and the vitamin D um, that's needed to get the motor going. So to that degree was good. And the convergence of that with um, the growth in golf entertainment centers, be it indoors, uh, like the five mm-hmm. irons, swingers, and ex-golfs of the world, to the outdoors, yeah. like Top Golf and all the other, you know, also ran stuff, shall we say, 
Um, mm-hmm. That has really leveled out the number of off and on course players, and it's serving as a feeding ground or a minor league system for those to translate into what we call traditional golf, the nine or 18 hole right. rounds on, I don't know, 6,300, 7,300 yard courses. So, um, Top Golf estimates that about 10% of their patronage converts to what we know as traditional golf. That is superseding those who leave golf or go on hiatus, which is why we have record numbers of golfers right now. So it's almost even, Stephen, between on-course golfers and off-course golfers and then those which play both. I bumped into a friend at the PGA show who works for the PGA of America. Um, this is my 33rd show, Ted. Um, so wow. I must have started when I was four. Um, <laughs> um, I bumped into a friend. Uh, yes, that's a bad attempt at humor. I bumped into a friend. Right. <laughs> we, we talked a lot about stickiness of golf, and, and these are unsubstantiated um, stats. However, he said that of new golfers who entered the game since the pandemic, 75% one year. 65% last more than one year. I'm sorry, more than two years. Right. That's a pretty good stickiness level, and that gives me solace and optimism uh, combined that the sustainability of golf, not just for our current generation, but future generations, is fine and dandy. And and the beauty of it is I, I go by, you know, lifetime value of golfers. I'd rather have 20, 35-year-old golfers than 30, 75-year-old golfers because they're going right. to contribute to the business of golf, the industry of golf, and the, um, like, octopus arms of golf to grow it at a much rap, much more rapid rate because they have longer to live. So the lifetime value of golf and the sustainability of golf is inexorably tied to um, the demographics of golf, mostly on the age side. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a lot of um, – um, and I'm one of these guys, Ted, like, if the check doesn't clear the bank, it's until the check clears the bank, it's rubber. Right. And <laughs> I am bullish as all bullish about golf. You look at beginners, they're up 3%. You look mm-hmm. at those ages 6 to 17, they're up 11%. You look at latent demands, we have 21 million or thereabout golfers who say, I am interested in taking up the sport. Even if right. we convert 10, 15, 20% of those, it'll more than um, tower over those who leave the sport, according to my conversation with one of the leaders of the PGA of America. It is um, it's the perfect storm, Ted, and we have COVID to thank or, or no thanks for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's some great opportunities. I, I think what what I was 
getting at too was was a little bit. There's definitely. I mean, if you look at the women's market as well, I mean, there's been a huge um, uptick of young women getting into the game uh, as well that had never played before, and that's really a market that um, was not as tapped into as it should have been, in my opinion. And obviously, I thank uh, you know the ladies of the LPGA for really doing some some great work over the last uh, several years in, in doing that. And obviously, the the pandemic, as as we talked about. Um, one other thing that I've noticed as well, and I think it's just a changing of the times. I've t- had to you know talk to a lot of young um, millennial, Gen Z, whatever you know category you want to throw out there, and I've asked them, you know, when it comes to golf, what is it um, about the game? that interests you. And one of the things that has come out and it's, it's sort of the culture that they thrive to is they're about social um, connections. It's about meeting other people. It's about having a social, it, it, you know, obviously they, they're playing the game. They're not interested in, uh, you know, private club memberships for the most part. There are certainly some, but you know, uh, belonging to a club, it's about the social interaction. And it brings me to this question um, about golf travel. People who uh, are more senior, who own club uh, members uh, memberships, and have you know talked about passing it on, you know, to the next generation. And the next generation sort of puts a hand up, and says, "Thanks, Pop, but not really interested in that. I prefer to go to such such a resort or travel or whatever." Is that a trend that you've noticed as well, um, or is it maybe just a, an isolated? Um, you know, area that maybe is not really getting a lot of steam. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's something I've noticed. I've noticed that the younger generation is not as interested in sticking with necessarily one club. They want to get out and explore and other options as to just traditional golf, as you pointed out earlier. It, 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 um, it goes both ways. So the pandemic has, uh, prompted people to stay closer to home in a lot of regards and want a sense of belonging and a sense of community. Therefore, neighborhood private clubs um, are in good shape. The other edge of the sword is, you're right, millennials need socialization. They need variety. So if clubs can have more than just golf, and have family activities. It could be zip lines. It could be camps. Could be moon bounces every Sunday. Then those clubs that are creative in catering to families could very well thrive. As far as travel goes, um, travel uh, golf travel is picking up uh, both domestically mm-hmm. and internationally after reaching its its nadir um, years ago. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the different segments of uh, demographic and and psychographics in golf amongst golfers really shake out. If I had a crystal ball, um, I wouldn't have a crystal ball because I really don't know what to predict. It is all over the board in different pockets. Um, I thought um, there would be a continuation um, in those people leaving the city to live in golf course communities, which is a tremendously large industry for us, uh, because during the pandemic, they wanted the safety and security of gated communities, better schools in the cities. Now they're returning to the cities. 
So uh, it's really anyone's guess. I think we're going to need another 12 to 24 months to really get a good handle on any trend whatsoever as to, um, you know, whether private clubs have seen better days, will continue with the stability and, and, the, and the nice run they've had, or um, will thrive even more due to people wanting that sense of community, the place of belonging, and the socialization for family. Um, I, I, yeah. I wish I can give you um, a prognostication, but that would be incredibly <laughs> irresponsible. <laughs> no, I, I just was curious about your thoughts. And the reason why I bring that up is, is you know, talking with a, a lot of these uh, younger folks, um, it, it's, it's very insightful because they look at, at things obviously much differently than, than I'm sure you and I have, uh, or, you know, as we were growing up and things are moving at a faster pace, and there's so many other things competing for their time. And, you know, one of the things that I've, um, you know, as much as they want to get out and they want to, you know, um, enjoy the sport and try it and, and, you know, not necessarily master it but become better at it, they're also, you know, responsible to the point that they don't want it to consume their life. You know, they're not looking to, you know, for the most part to get out on tour, so... You know, they just want to, it's one thing they want to add in their, you know, uh, bag of goodies. So they're not necessarily looking for uh, to play 18 holes or even nine holes. Sometimes they just want to jump in and maybe play six holes. So I think it's, you know, from a diversity standpoint, I think, as you said, courses are going to have to be more creative and not just golf, but in other areas as well um, to keep that interest because they are being competed against with so many other um, you know, options out there for that next generation coming up. And also, too, one last point is technology. Um, I know we've run a number of ads uh, over the years in magazines, in the last few years particularly. Um, again, most of the, the the golf magazines, not from the digital side but from the print side, uh, tend to have an older uh, demographic. Um, they're not as excited about all the latest technology as the next generation is. Um, so, you know, they're having to be more creative, um, with their, their advertising, um, dollars and so forth. How do we get after that younger generation? Obviously it's, it's more digital product as opposed to, uh, print. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see what happens over, as you said, over the next uh, maybe couple of years, how the market changes. Um, as I was sort of leading into the very beginning of this topic is I just hope that the industry is able to pivot and adapt as needed and not just try to go down what the status quo has been for a long time. I don't think they're going to do that. I hope they don't. Um, but that's what I worry about as you see, uh, you know, an aging population in even the golf teach professional, you're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, older season, you know, PGA and LPJ professionals who sort of stick to what they traditionally know, which is fine, but the next generation is looking for something different. And um, I think they have to be willing to adapt, but, um, if, 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 that's if, I, this gives you a, go ahead. if this gives you a sense of calm and optimism, the cost to play public golf on average is 41 bucks per 18-hole round. My wife mm-hmm. and I went to see just a horrific movie called Wonka. She liked it. I didn't. And it cost <laughs> us 21 bucks a ticket for two hours yeah. of sitting in a very crowded New York City movie theater uh, the popcorn and the raisinets cost us another 20 bucks, and we got no 
physical activity whatsoever. And the cost to play golf has only risen about four or five bucks in about six years. So that stabilization, um, it's very well, if not favorably, against other recreational choices. So, you know, the, 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 the misnomer in golf is like, this is your grandfather's sport. You've got to belong to a country club. It's such an elitist sport. But mm-hmm. that public cost of golf at around 41 bucks leads to an incredible amount of affordability, accessibility, and diversity that I believe is, is the foundation or the bedrock for the future of the game. Mm-hmm. So, I would agree with that. You know, don't read the headlines um, because golf is here to stay. And, you know, what I really like about this is sales uh, by units are up about 11%. And you know what that indicates, mm-hmm. Ted? It indicates that there are a lot of beginners in this game losing a lot of balls. Right. And <laughs> on losing balls. And that is a wonderful key indicator that our game is uh, alive and well. I, I couldn't agree more. And and, and I, I think it's, as you said, I think it's going to, with, with a lot of the, the different organizations that have come in, you know, uh, organizations like Top Golf and, and many others out there that are coming in and approaching golf from a, a different uh, approach um, that has, you know, other than traditional, uh, has sort of piqued the interest of uh, the next generations. And it's gotten them, uh, to the table, if you will, and they're coming with their own ideas and saying, "Hey, we would want to." I mean, just think about this: the last couple of years, uh, last three or four years, the onslaught of Bluetooth speakers at the golf course. Now, you know, Bushnell and every, you know, everybody else coming out and not just giving GPS stats, but you know, blaring some tunes out there. I mean, you know, they're they're wanting to create an environment that's fun. And it's interesting. I just want to point this out, and then we'll we'll move on. Um, I did a, a poll recently uh, in our Golf Tips newsletter, and I sent it out. And basically, the gist of the the poll was, uh, what would you um, be most interested in seeing in in a golf lesson? Like, if you took a golf lesson, what's most important to you? And you know, typically, you know, would think, well, increase distance, you know, improve my irons, and all that. The two top answers, and I, I gave two. Um, sort of as, a, as an offshoot. One was never took a lesson, so I had to give that option as well. And the other one was more fun. Both of those pretty much tied at 36%. So 36 and 36 for each of those, they dwarfed all of the other answers. And I had seven answers, uh, potential answers that you could choose from. Uh, again, distance and, and that was that, you know, improve putting, all that kind of good stuff. And the first highest was never took a lesson, and the second one with like half a percent was they wanted it to be more fun. So I think you're seeing, as you pointed out, you're seeing a trend, I think, where people want to just get out and enjoy themselves, and golf is offering a lot of that environment now. And I think if I was to have one overall criticism, and it's something that you just mentioned, not particularly this position but you had mentioned about it's you know grandfather's you know sport and leaders and that i wish that they would do it they do a lot of great promoting of the tours and things like that but one of the things that i have done through my own surveys and, and polls is that they need to spend as much effort 
promoting the game outside of the tours of the professional level so that people at the grassroots level understand that there's something there for them as well. Um, would you agree that that's something that we need to do more of? And, and getting it in uh, the school systems, not just on a competitive level, but at the grassroots level, much like other sports are, baseball, football, that sort of thing, because there's a lot of people when you pull them, even in the middle school, that have never played the game before. They played every other sport, but they've never played golf, unless it's something that was in their family. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I have three topics along the lines of fun. Um, the first is, you know, I, I live in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C., and I was having lunch at um, a stuffy country club. And on the first tee, as I, as I walked from my car to, um, to the dining hall, dining room, um, there was one senator that I recognized and three of the most powerful lobbyists ready to tee it up. All four of them were wearing hoodies and joggers. Golf has come a long way, and the right. relaxed dress code, uh, if that doesn't say, you know, loosen up, folks, I don't know what does. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, there are rumors, and they are rumors. I haven't seen any paparazzi shots, but Taylor Swift is hitting the driving range like no other. It pays to have her boyfriend next to uh, a guy by the name, you know, um, along the, yep. along the, in this offense as, as Mahomes, because he's a hell of a golfer. So if mm-hmm. all the Swifties can follow Taylor Swift, we may have an onslaught of teeny boppers and then some taking up golf, which is good for the future. The third right. is there's this new, and, and Susie Whaley, who's supposed to be on tonight, is president of a of a new uh, channel um, that you can see on GolfNation.com and, and Vizio TV's home screens called Golf Nation, and is it's a golf lifestyle entertainment channel that produces original programming, golf programming like Netflix does, but mm-hmm. injects. Uh, shopping video technology so you can buy the golf products you see on TV. And the Golf Channel used to be very big in golf lifestyle programming, everything from travel to fashion to cool and and just really fun. But it's focused lately, or I shall say the past 15 years, on tour coverage, which is great. But there's been a void in that golf lifestyle niche. And Golf Nation is really uh, coming up with some creative, uh, entertaining, informative, uh, we'll call it educational content that shows the other side of golf, not the competitive side of golf, but the cultural side of golf. Mm-hmm. Really cool stuff. So you get the hoodies, yeah, I... Taylor Swift and <laughs> Golf Nation. You've got the recipe for bringing in a whole new onslaught of demographics and psychographics to this great sport and business. Makes me wish I was 15 years younger. Um, you know, it, no, you're exactly right, and 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 that's what's exciting about it. You know, when I what was interesting at the PGA show. I mean, obviously, you know, you you meet a lot of your your old time friends and things like that, but there was a lot of young entrepreneurs there as well that are very excited about the game. Um, you know, some, some good stuff there and obviously some, you know, uh, that maybe won't make it off of, of the uh, the shelf. But 
you know, ne- nevertheless, they're there, you know, giving it the old call to try. And it's just interesting to see the, the diversity of not just the people, but also the diversity of products and, and uh, ideas and, you know, some technology, some, um, you, you know, your, your, your typical um, retail products and things like that. But it's just very interesting. And especially in the fashion end, I mean, you, you know, you go down, you know, Lisa Hurley as uh, of course head on um, it's coming on the show a little bit later and she's a, uh, works with you and as a client has her own line and she's been on uh, uh, my other uh, podcast women of golf with Cindy Miller and I, and we're going to get her on again uh, uh, throughout the season on that show as well. Um, but you know, has a great um, active line and just really uh, has some great fashion. And, you know, I saw her uh, this year at the show as well um, again, and just uh, really excited and very passionate about what she does. And there was a lot of that down at the show, a lot of different things. And it's just really um, kind of, you know, I hate to say it, but gone away from the traditional, um, you know, I, I, I keep joking with her. I said, when are you going to come out with the men's line? I said, we're, we're kind of falling behind here. There isn't too many uh, good men uh, golf products uh, lines out there for clothing uh, compared to what the ladies have. And we need some, some help. So I, I don't know whether she'll take me up on that. I know she's done a couple of things, but uh, We'll see if we can get uh, her to do more. But, but you see what I'm getting at is there's really a lot of excitement, and I agree with you on the fun factor. I think getting somebody, a, a big star like Taylor Swift, to get out there and doing stuff, you know that the, there's going to be handfuls and handfuls of people that are going to follow suit just out of curiosity. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But um, I want to take just a, a, a short little uh, break here, a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. And then we're going to talk about uh, a gentleman that we both uh, had the opportunity to uh, work with a little bit, um, uh, the late uh, legendary Billy Casper. We're going to talk about more about that in just a moment, but we'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. I'm with my very special guest, uh, the founder and CEO of Cat Strategy, Rich Katz. And uh, we're going to talk about um, Billy Casper. Um, Rich, I know you've got uh, a number of stories uh, of Billy. I had the, the pleasure of having Billy um, one of the early years that I, I did this broadcast. And uh, he very graciously came on and uh, spent uh, the better part of almost two hours uh, talking about his book at the time, uh, The Big Three and Me. And, um, and some other things that he was working on. And uh, we, we took a number of calls uh, from folks all over the U.S. that just wanted to reach out and say hi. And just a, a very humble, very nice man. I have an interesting story I'll, I'll share. I've shared on the show before, but I'm going to let you go first. Talk a little bit about your experience with Billy Casper. Yeah, so I was in the fortunate position of being Billy's um, business manager or agent, shall we say, um, since I was 25 years old, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Morris managed him and had entrusted me to help 
uh, manage that career. Um, and I took over managing Billy's, you know, off-course business. And uh, he is a consummate gentleman. Uh, he's even more of a gentleman than he is a champion on the golf course. My dad died when I was about 26 years old, and he became my second dad. Um, there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of calmness. Uh, there's a lot of integrity. And the value system that he and I shared were spot on. Um, not only did we do uh, terrific business together, uh, but we formed a bond um, much uh, more special than dollars and cents. Uh, mm -hmm. We were able to spend a lot of time together on the road, uh, just the two of us. We've stayed in the best hotels in the world, and we've stayed in hotels where we had to wear golf shoes in the shower, um, separate rooms, Ed. <laughs> And um, Billy was the joker. Um, he played practical jokes on me. We are in Morocco at the King of, King of Morocco's golf tournament. He told me it was chicken pot pie and it was pigeon pot pie, and that was a tough evening for me. There were, were times when Billy said um, the tangerines in Morocco, um, just keep eating them. They're terrific. I kept eating them, and... I didn't see um, outside of my hotel room for the next four days. There were times <laughs> Billy and I in Morocco <laughs> would go into the Medinas and go shopping for Berber rub, rugs, and he would ask me to negotiate for him like I did in, in, in the golf business. And um, next thing you know, I was we were reverse haggling, trying to pay more than what they wanted uh, because we didn't know the currency exchange. Uh, you know, but Billy was, um, you would speak with Billy and he had uh, this innate sense of blocking out everything around you and just focusing on the conversation. And I learned a lot about respecting people's times and people's opinions uh, from Billy. He was the consummate uh, family man. Uh, the reason why he didn't play a lot of uh, British Opens is because he had 11 kids at home and right. you know the UK, UK is quite far and uh, by the way he had 11 kids and going to his house in San Diego and then he moved to Utah um, it was like valet parking in his in his driveway um, right. just a wonderful family man uh, wife Shirley um, very similar in, in that regard mm -hmm a love affair amongst, you know, young sweethearts. And um, Billy was revered. Uh, he was quiet. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't really uh, seek the spotlight. Um, golf was a job. He had 11 kids to feed, obviously. And um, he enjoyed it. Um, his contemporaries um, – uh, we're so fond of him as one of the forefathers of golf, one of the greatest putters that ever lived. Uh, I remember Bryce coming up to him uh, when when I was with Billy, and he said, Mr. Casper, I'll never forget something you did. And Billy said, what's that? And Nick said, when I was so young, um, you signed a golf ball for me, and you didn't really have mm -hmm. to. You stopped to do it, young kid in the gallery. And from that day on, I wanted to play this gentlemanly sport. And he said, Mr. Casper, 
you're my hero. And Billy said, thank you, but don't call me my, don't call me Mr. Casper. Call me Billy. (laughs) And Nick said, yes, Mr. Casper. He couldn't, couldn't call him Billy. Right. So um, it, it was it was neat. We did a uh, 75th birthday video with Bill um, for Billy. We interviewed a bunch of um, you know uh, tour pros, young and old. And I can't tell you how many people had these wonderful stories to tell uh, about Billy. I remember. I think it was Faldo um, who said, "Rich, the story I remember most." about Billy was when we were playing golf in Kenya and all of a sudden a zebra runs across the fairway and Billy said, Nick, I bet you can't be just joking around. You know, Nick, Nick, Nick wields a club and guess what? He just smacks a zebra in the left calf. So, you know, those are just some <laughs> stories uh, that I have it with, um, with Billy, I would I would uh, meet him in the airport. Um, he lived in San Diego. I live outside of D.C. And we'd meet in the airport, and you know, sometimes uh, he would wait for me in the airport, or vice versa. And you know, Billy would say, "I'll I'll get the luggage. You get the rental car." I'd go and get the rental car, and you know, I'd, I'd meet Billy back at the baggage claim, and I'm like, "Oh my God, where's Billy?" The yeah. dude's just hiding from me, like a, like a teenager. That's the Billy that people don't know. Um, mm-hmm. They may see him as a quiet guy, just went about his business, you know, greatest wrist putter of all time. But he was so much fun to be around. He laughed. There were times he laughed so hard he cried. I, I was afraid I'd have to give him CPR. Uh, but he was revered. He would show a lot of the young guys the ropes. He showed Johnny Miller the ropes when Johnny came on tour. I'll never forget Mark McCumber telling me if it wasn't for Billy, I'm not so sure, sure I'd make it these, those first few years on tour. Uh, Steve Jones, who won the U.S. Open, told me the same thing. And these are stories Billy just you know, never wanted to get out there. He did it for all the right reasons to help his fellow man, and that was his mantra. And that's where I learned, um, you know, my morals and values by and large in this adult life. Mm-hmm. And you know, treating people uh, like people with the respect they deserve. Um, there were times I'd meet Billy in the airport and, you know, he'd come out, you know, giving hugs and kisses to people he met on an airplane. Right. I mean, who does that? Right. right. So it was, it was neat. I remember... I remember a guy who's a security guard at the clubhouse at Augusta, um, worked there for about 30 years. Billy was his favorite guy because Billy was so nice to him, gave him the time of day. You know, the security guard, as as lore goes, and and there may be some embellishment here, the security guard um, uh, had a couple kids. One of them lived in Hawaii. He wasn't able to see the kid in Hawaii because he couldn't afford to go. Billy ponied up, ponied up the frequent flyer miles and the hotel miles to send the security guard, 30-year security guard at Augusta National, you know, just standing at duty at the clubhouse. He sent him to see his kid in Hawaii. Those are stories that are untold, but Billy didn't want to tell him. He did it for all the right reasons. He didn't do it for showboating. And that's a lesson yeah. to people today, um, you know, especially in, in, the, in today's day and age of um, social media. 
where everything you, yep. you ever do, you be made public. Um, <laughs> that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't really, I, I just, um, I'm in awe of his kindness. I'm in awe of his generosity. Um, and again, his mantra was treating, you know, he was put on earth to treat fellow man with respect and, you know, by and large, he's a model citizen for us to emulate. No doubt. And, uh, I, I just want to share a couple of quick things. Um, you know, obviously, uh, he, uh, started his tournament in San Diego and obviously uh, Billy's Kids, which was his uh, um, foundation that he uh, started. And he obviously always wanted to give back um, through golf and, and wanted to help uh, kids particularly. And he had a lot of different things that he did with his charity. Um, and, of course, they have that annual tournament and a, a cast of many, many very talented people, very well-known people. Um, that participate in that have for years and just look forward to it each and every season. I wanted to mention something because you, you, you uh, kind of set it up for me a little bit, but uh, you had mentioned Johnny Miller, and I want to share a very quick story that Billy shared with me on my program uh, when he was on back, I believe it was 2013. It was just a couple of years. I believe it was 2015 that he passed away, but um, he had shared this. Of course, we were talking about his book, and he said, as I'm sure you know, um, of course, uh, Billy was, was Mormon, and um, he quite often, um, during tournament uh, weeks and things, he would go to the you know, Mormon, uh, Mormon church, and he would uh, uh, sometimes be you know guest uh, speaker and whatnot. And he recollected this one time years and years and years ago um, where he was at, uh, at the church, and he was talking, and a woman came up to him and you know, asked to, to speak with him for a few moments. So, of course, as you pointed out, Billy being the the consummate gentleman said, of course, I'd love to. And, and she inquired and said that she had a son that um, was really into golf, really wanted to play and wanted to play at a professional level. And she was looking for some advice on what to do. And, and, you know, he didn't get into, well, he needs to do this with his game or he needs to do that. He just very eloquently said to her, whatever he wants to do, if this is his dream, just be the supporting parent, just love him, just continue to, support him in whatever he does, and I'm sure he'll succeed. Um, no direct golf advice, nothing like that. The reason I mention that, as it turns out, that was Johnny Miller's mother, and it was Johnny Miller that she was talking about. And he shared that story on my program uh, a number of years ago, and it just goes to what you were talking about. And obviously the rest is history. Uh, Billy and, and Johnny uh, became very good friends over the years, but it was really um, – so, and I'm sure there were other factors involved, but uh, those words really resonated with Johnny Miller. He talked about that in an interview uh, some years later, um, the importance that Billy Casper played in his life. And it was just interesting, I found, that um, those very simple words that, that Billy had expressed to, to Johnny's mother, um, you know, was, uh, I won't say was necessarily the deciding factor, but certainly helped uh, steer him in the right direction. So I just thought I wanted to share that because you mentioned uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, Johnny Miller, excuse me. Uh, but you're, you're exactly yeah. right. Billy was just, you, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure you may have heard something uh, similar along that lines uh, in your conversations with Billy and others, but uh, I just wanted to point that out, Chair. Well, I, I don't know how much uh, time we have left, but I'd like to share one story that'll, you know, just kind of wrap it in a bow. Um, yep. Uh, Billy entertained the troops overseas. Uh, he did it with Bob Hope and, and other stars. Um, and, Probably in, I think it was in 
I don't know, maybe in in this, I don't know. A long time ago, <laughs> Billy was in Japan. He was visiting a hospital of critically injured um, uh, war heroes, American war heroes. And there was this one war hero by the name of Cleve McClary. And Cleve was in the hospital, and he was on the brink of death. I mean, it was bad. So one day, Billy visits the hospital. There's Cleve. And he looks over the bed, and he saw this young Cleve McClary. He'd been wounded to the point where he could barely be recognized. And Billy moved closer to him, and a doctor said, don't bother, because the guy was ready to die. But Billy, something made Billy approach this guy. And Billy put his arm around McClary, and he said, God could use you today. Don't give up. And then Billy thanked him for what he did for his country and said, God bless you. Mm-hmm. That gave Cleve McClary the resolve to fight. He survived. He left the hospital in Japan. He came back to South Carolina near Myrtle Beach. And um, he never came into contact with Billy Casper again. McCleave McClary, uh, I'm sorry, Cleve McClary, was neighbors with Jay Haas. Cleve told Jay Haas hmm. about how Billy Casper's life. Jay Haas invited Cleve McClary to the Masters in, I think it was 2014, met Billy Casper, and they must have hugged for five minutes. Billy wow. saved McClary's life. And McClary lost his left arm and his left eye in Vietnam, and his life should have ended. In that hospital in Japan, Billy Casper. How That's about fantastic. that? Yeah, what an or how about that reunion? And the Masters was the perfect setting for that. That's Billy Casper always putting others ahead of himself. Yeah, and you know he, I, I what a fantastic story. Thank you uh, truly for sharing that, not only with me but obviously with with my audience as well. Um, you know. In, in the short time, obviously, I didn't have anywhere near the length of exposure to, to Billy that you did. But even in the short time, what was interesting is when it was just by happenstance, really, that, that the interview came about, um, I was actually approached by, by somebody. And um, long story short, they said that uh, they were in, in a business relationship with, with Billy Casper. And um, they just happened to sort of let it leak out about his book. So I said, well, I'd love to have you on as a guest. Um, would it be possible to get, you know, Billy to come on the show and he could talk about his, and they said, oh, yeah. And, of course, at the time, you know, this is several years ago, I didn't think, okay, this is not going to happen, what have you. And the next thing you know, I get a, a, an email, and they said, you know, Mr. Casper would, would love to chat with you next Saturday. Do you have some time available? We spent an hour and a half on the phone. I just listened to, to the man, and it just shared so many interesting. And the whole purpose of this was not to talk about what was going to be talked about on the show, he just enjoyed getting to know other people. He just wanted to get to know me before he came on my show. And it wasn't to check me out to make sure I was okay. I mean, the person would not have invited him um, onto the show if he was concerned about that. And he had already heard my program before. But he just wanted to kind of get to know. Uh, and he came on, and as I, I said earlier, he spent close to two hours 
on the broadcast and had many, uh, I think we had close to a dozen people calling in from all over the United States, including a young uh, uh, boy and his father that were driving back from football practice, and they called driving down uh, Interstate 10, and they just wanted to call in. They just loved Billy, and I, I believe they shared a, a brief story of, of an experience they had had uh, some years earlier, and he just wanted his son to, you know, um, have a chance to say hi to, to Billy Casper. But he was so giving of his time, and we had a follow-up call, personal call, about a week later. Um, again, just to, I mean, he couldn't have thanked me a thousand times um, more than he did. And it was just so special, and he was just really, really um, very humble and just a pleasure. And it's a shame that I never got a, an opportunity to have him back on before he passed, but I would have in a heartbeat. But he was probably one of my favorite all-time guests to have on the show, and what a great story that you just shared that just epitomizes the type of man that he was and, um, and why he was so beloved by so many, but you're exactly right. He, he never really wanted to be in the limelight. And he talks about that in his, uh, his book, uh, the big three and me, um, you know, Nicholas and, and Palmer and, and player obviously were, um, always sort of thrust into the limelight for other reasons. But, uh, he just was not one of those ones, but he just was a, a great, great person. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. I can go on for hours sharing stories <laughs> about, about Billy, and I don't know how much time we have left, but I, I've got a, I've got yeah. another one for you. Go ahead, Sherry. We got time for we got yeah we got one more uh, time for one more story. So so go ahead. Uh, but I'm going to have you back on, Rich, for sure. We'll, we'll come back and we'll have plenty more to, to talk about. But uh, go ahead and share one more story, and then I'll have to wrap it up. Yeah, so Billy and I were um, in Tampa. It was just the two of us. We were having dinner at Shula's Steakhouse. Uh, there's not a steak that Billy and I ever missed. And on the wall, there was a picture of Don Shula, you know, the uh, the legendary coach of the Dolphins, and Billy Casper. Mm-hmm. The waiter recognized Billy from the picture that was just across the table from where Billy and I were sitting. The waiter gets, comes back with the cell phone and says, are you Mr. Casper? Yes, but call me Billy. He said, well, Billy, Mr. Shula is on the phone for you. He wants to talk to you. I recognize you from your picture on the wall. They go, hey, Don, hey, Don, hey, Don. And they're reminiscing about a round of golf they played 30 years earlier at the Row. And right. Billy says, Don, remember on number 16 when you hit it in the drink with the two iron? I believe it was a, uh, a titleist ball. And remember that I needled you about hitting it in the drink and then I hit it in the drink? <laughs> this was 30 years ago. Right. How do you remember that? <laughs> Billy had an innate sense for remembering almost every shot on every hole, every tournament, every outing, every recreational round of golf. And the funny thing is, Shula remembered it too. And Shula has played with many celebrities in his day. Mm-hmm. And he gets on the phone. Billy passes the phone to me and says, Rich, I want you to meet Shula. Shula, I want you to meet Rich. So talking. And he says, you know, Rich, I just want to let you know that Mr. Casper, and he can't call him Billy, Mr. Casper was mm-hmm. the most genuine gentleman I've ever played golf with. And that's my yeah. story. That's- wow. 
it, it just, you know, it, it's a shame really that we don't have players like him now. And, and I'm not saying this to be critical of anybody out there. I'm just saying that just the type of uh, player and just the, the people like a Billy Casper, um, I wish we had more. I wish we had many more like him. Uh, he was just, a, again, a very, just a humble person, very kind. I've, I've heard um, so many great stories, and you've obviously shared a few more here, and I'm sure you have many, many more you can share. We'll have to wait for next time to do that, unfortunately, but, uh, uh, but some great stories that you shared. And, and it's just, you know, it, again, it goes to what I said a little bit earlier on in the broadcast, and that is it really talks about the game as, um, as a whole. It's not just about chasing a little white ball around. It's just so much more. You know, there's a reason why golf is um, a, a game that so many people have gravitated through. Um, some have obviously left for out of frustration, but somehow managed to come back years later. Um, and why so many businesses and so many charities have benefited um, from rounds. In fact, I had a gentleman years ago, I don't recall his name off the top of my head, but earlier years as well, who wrote a book and talked about all of the thousands upon thousands of charity golf tournaments that go on every year around the world. And it dwarfs every other major sport in the world for raising uh, money for charity. Um, golf does. And uh, it was just amazing, the billions of dollars that, that get raised through just, you know, everything from little, you know, local tournaments, uh, fundraisers to major, you know, PGA Tour events and others uh, around the world. And it just goes to show you that it, it is a game for everyone, and uh, it doesn't matter what level you play. Um, it's something that you can get out and have a great time doing. It's always a, a game of learning, as Tiger Woods talked about many times in interviews, that even at his level, you know, he was always learning new things and always challenging himself. Faldo said about that many times. He monkeyed around with his swing, of course, and you ask any uh, golf coach worth their salt, they'll tell you it's, it's a continual learning game. And that's what makes it fun. It's frustrating at times, as you know, and, and as I know, but it's also a lot of fun. And people like Billy Casper, um, the memory that he has and legacy that he has left uh, behind is something that um, many, many people will uh, cherish for years. And I know to this day, you're still remembering some of those great stories. And I want to thank you, uh, Rich, for, for sharing that uh, with uh, myself and my audience tonight. Any final words, thoughts about golf in general that you want to share before we, uh, we wrap it up? Folks who may be intimidated um, by entering the sport of golf, be it business or on course or off course, give it a try. You may surprise yourself. You may like it. And I'll leave you with this, hashtag golf for everyone. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. And Rick, if you want, uh, sorry, Rich, if you want to uh, share uh, any um, way that people can get in touch with you, we get a lot of uh, professionals that tune into the show, not just uh, the regular uh, folks out there, but uh, if maybe somebody might be interested in connecting with you, uh, is there, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Sure. The best way is email rkatz at kat, I'm, I'm goofing on my own address, Ted, rkat. <laughs> at catstrategy.com and it seems like I didn't name it cat strategies plural because my mind only works on one strategy at a time so our cat <laughs> at catstrategy.com 
Rich, thank you very much for, for joining me this evening. I will definitely uh, take a look at the, my calendar and have you come back when it's convenient for you. But thank you for, for uh, you know, talking some golf and, and uh, obviously uh, much continued success. I know that you've helped a lot of folks out there. Um, we'll talk about some of the other things that you do the next time you come back on. But uh, thank you as well for sharing uh, um, some really great memories of, of uh, Billy Casper as well with the audience. I know that they'll enjoy it. But um, have a great evening, my friend, and we will continue to uh, uh, work together and uh, and get some other great guests on the show with your help. But uh, thanks for coming on tonight. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Ted. Have a nice rest of the evening. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest uh, jumping on tonight uh, in place of, of course, Susie Whaley, uh, who was uh, originally scheduled to come on tonight. I'm very grateful that uh, Rich was able to, to do that. I uh, mentioned uh, he is the founder and CEO of Cat Strategy, LLC, uh, a real pioneer in the marketing and uh, end of uh, in, in business advisory uh, side of things in golf, worked with some, some great folks, and as you just uh, listened, um, had a great relationship, both business and personal relationship with the uh, legendary uh, late Billy Casper, and uh, I want to again thank him for coming on uh, the show tonight. Uh, don't forget, um, as I mentioned, in February, we're going to be doing a kind of a Golf Talk Live light. Uh, we're just doing an hour broadcast with my special guest. I know we ran a, a little bit past tonight, but uh, that's okay. Um, and then in March, on March 7th, we'll be kicking things up to full steam with uh, our two-hour broadcast. The Coach's Corner will be starting things off, and then uh, my insightful interview will come in on the second half of the show. So it'll be regular 6 to 8 uh, p.m. Central broadcast. And then beginning the 14th of March, as I mentioned, uh, we'll also be uh, inserting in between uh, that area uh, a travel section, if you will, a travel segment um, uh, featuring my good friend Robert Kaufman, who is the uh, uh, contributing editor for travel to Golf Tips Magazine and others. And he'll be joining me on that, uh, including a guest of other travel uh, friends as well be joining us on that. So that'll be beginning on March 14th, and that will take place on the 2nd and last Thursday of every month from that point to the end of the season. So you want to stick around for that as well. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to our Season 12 kickoff here on Golf Talk Live. And uh, don't forget to also uh, tune in every Tuesday uh, where you will hear myself and um, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, my co-host on the Women of Golf Show that airs Tuesday uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And you can find both shows on blogtalkradio.com, uh, you can just uh, key in um, either Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf, and that will take you to the respective pages. But on that note, once again, thanks to Rich Katz, uh, founder and CEO of Cat Strategy, LLC. Thanks for uh, stepping up and coming on tonight, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Ted would like to thank this evening's special guest for joining him on the show. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. You can also listen to Golf Talk Live on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. Be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, 
Send an email to Ted at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.